0: Welcome to the Live from the Pat Conroy Literary Center podcast here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I am your host, Jonathan Haupt, and this evening I will be joined in conversation with some dear friends to us in the Conroy Center. Our friend Elizabeth Robin, an award-winning poet from Hilton Head Island, will be with us, and we had originally planned to be joined by... Anne Shadwells Humphreys, an exceptional poet from Columbia, South Carolina. Anne is recovering from surgery today, and she will be represented on our program by her friend Adelaine Klein instead. Uh, Elizabeth is not yet with us, however, I will point out. So we're going to do a little bit of introduction work with the hopes that Elizabeth will join us by the time we get to her point. Uh, in the show, and if not, we will adjust accordingly, because that's what we do here on the podcast. So our friend Elizabeth Robin is a retired school teacher and the author of two poetry collections, Where Green Meets Blue, released in 2018, and Silk Purses and Lemonade, released in 2017, both published by Finishing Line Press. Her third collection, To My Dream Catcher, will be released next year. She is uh, the winner of this year's Carrie McCrae Nickens Fellowship, presented by the South Carolina Academy of Authors and also by the South Carolina Writers Association. Of Elizabeth's poetry in that particular co- competition, Judge Tiana Clark said, Quote, I see lunar lyricism reflected by this poet. The language is mystical, mythic, sublime, and romantic. The haunting imagery is fresh and allows for strangeness, devastation, and delight in a way that captures me as a reader. End quote. Elizabeth has had the good fortune of being published in any number of literary magazines as well. And she also MCs an open mic night and other literary programs on Hilton Head Island and very often participates in the monthly open mic night of our very own Pat Conroy Literary Center. And I think Elizabeth has just joined us on the studio line, which would be welcome. Elizabeth, are you with us now? Maybe not just yet. We'll give her another minute. Uh, as I said, we had originally planned for Anne Shadwell Humphreys to be here. Let me go ahead and read her bio on her behalf, since she is still represented in tonight's show. Anne competed in poetry recitation as a girl in Texas, and after her retirement, she took community writing classes, then graduate classes in poetry. Muddy Ford Press in Columbia, South Carolina, selected Anne as the second writer to be published in their Poet Laureate series and published her first book, An Eclipse and a Butcher. Anne was uh, one of five finalists for the Carrie McCrae nickens Poetry Fellowship this year, and she's also a newly inducted member into the South Carolina Humanities Speakers Bureau. And as I mentioned at the onset of the show, uh, Anne is unable to be with us as she's recovering from surgery, which we wish her well through. So she's going to be represented on tonight's program by her friend Adelaine Klein. And Adeline, I believe you are still with us here on the show. So uh, welcome.
1: Adelaide is here, yes. Adelaide, Thank you Adelaide, yes.
0: I'm honored Thank, to you. Here. Thank you. Um, I believe Elizabeth is with us, but Elizabeth, I cannot hear you, so uh, you may have your phone muted. Nope, don't hear her yet. So, Adelaide, you and I get to talk for a minute then while we see if Elizabeth can join us or not. Tell me a little bit about how you, how you know Anne, how you came to know Anne.
1: I met Ann several years ago because I'm a recorded books reader for the South Carolina Public Library, the Talking Books Program. We read books about South Carolina and by South Carolina authors, and I was honored to be uh, chosen, and I have read for several years, of course, until the pandemic, and I've missed it terribly. I'm really ready to go back. I I have a lot of experience in radio and television and teaching public speaking. Columbia College is my undergraduate degree. Uh, The University of South Carolina is my master's in journalism, and I do have um, a law degree from the University of South Carolina. So I guess I like school, (laughs) (laughs) what it sounds like.
0: It does sound like a a lifelong learner, as we would say.
1: And I met Anne through the Talking Books program, volunteer luncheon, and she had her, her wonderful service dog, Brego with her. I understand she's had two service dogs, and she's such a, an active person that she maybe just wore them out. She doesn't have a service dog now. And I am sort of her assistant, whatever she needs me to do. I read to her. I, um, I helped her with the uh, publication of her poetry book. And I am, I'm so excited every time I go over to her home to do whatever she wants me to do because this woman is beyond amazing. I'm just fascinated with her and the technology that she can do. And I, I'm inspired by Anne. Every time I'm with her and I come home, I have this wonderful, glowy, warm, fuzzy feeling.
0: She is indeed inspirational. Uh, it, it's always very empowering to uh, to spend some uh, time with Anne. And we've gotten to host Anne as part of our monthly open mic night as well. So those who uh, follow us at the Conroy Center Facebook page and on our YouTube channel have gotten to experience a little bit of Anne's talent as well. Uh, and just to make clear, if we haven't done this already, uh, Anne... has has lost her sight as an adult through a a genetic condition and she uses some pretty remarkable technology in many aspects of her life, but that's what makes her reading and writing of poetry possible as well.
1: She's She's rather amazing. She really is. Her technology, her use of technology, and she's learning to read Braille. She wants to be able to read books to her grandchildren. She's taking braille classes. Oh,
0: that's wonderful. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think so, it's good. Uh, uh, Anne has entrusted you with some poetry to read tonight, and Elizabeth is still trying to join us, so I think what we might do is give you the opportunity to share some of Anne's work with us, and hopefully Elizabeth will be with us uh, to do the same after, after you've read a few of Anne's poems. And I understand that you have work not, not only from Anne's book, An Eclipse and a Butcher, which we mentioned in the introduction, but also some unpublished pieces as well, some newer pieces.
1: Yes, I have several of those. <clears throat> and um, I also have her plans for the workshop in November.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. We can, <laughs> if, we can, we can uh, if we have yes. time
1: to discuss that later. Okay. We definitely
0: so, will, so we'll all. get to that.
1: Good. Thank you, Jonathan. The first poem of Anne's that I'm going to read is in her book, <clears throat> An Eclipse and the Butcher. And the name of the poem is Fine with Blind, a Self-Portrait. I have made my peace, I am fine with blind. Five senses become more, include my sense of humor and asset which forced to change my life, when forced to change my life. I imagine how people look. With iPhone technology, I can touch a button and rely on my hearing. The world opens to me by my hearing, spoken text online, designed for the blind. I stay current, connected, and in touch with public conversation. This makes sense. The transition has been hard, but I look forward, not back, as I adapt to change. Let's go out, he says. I clap. Let me change. A booth in the back, please. We sip, hearing jazz playing softly he offers. You look beautiful. We chat and laugh. Love is blind. Prized time with each other makes common sense. We split dessert for the finishing touch. To eat, I slide my fingers to touch the play setting. To cut my food, I change utensils with my hands, then switch. My sense of surroundings begins upon hearing daily specials. Folks can't tell I am blind. During conversation, I turn to look. On walks, friends warm, warn of low wet limbs, look out. Though I like to feel plants, I learned not to touch cactus or poison ivy as a blind hiker. Nature trips provide welcome change. I hop river rocks causing midstream, hearing bird songs, waterfalls, and wildlife I sense. With only light perception left, I sense others' presence. Though I can't see, I look toward your eyes. I find my way hearing. Follow my voice. I slide my toes to touch the edge of stairs and make a level change. I use tricks to work around being blind. Blindness provides insight. My sense of touch becomes my sight, and now I welcome change. With hearing and healing, I thrive as blind. That is in her book, in her published poetry book.
0: That is an exquisite poem. That's,
1: I think it's, it is. It, it explains a lot about her.
0: It does. And the it's name very
1: evocative.
0: Of of, go ahead, Right.
1: And, and when you meet her, you will, you will see exactly those, um, those ways that she handles herself. She's quite graceful. An Eclipse and a Butcher, the name of the poetry book, her first published book, gives um, some insight into her growing up in West Texas. An Eclipse and a Butcher. Howard Bryce had a soft spot for my mother. He'd plug wedges and watermelons for our family to taste. He'd draw. No good, no sale. Bryce's mercantile was one of only two grocery stores in the county seat, population 397 in that remote Texas hill country. Saturdays, my mother, whom people said was, pardon me, was more beautiful than Jacqueline Kennedy, piled the four of us into a 58 station wagon, no seat belts nor air conditioning, to drive 13 miles past sheep and goats, summer camps and tourist cabins to the tiny market on the courthouse square. When we pulled in, we kids tumbled out to race through the screen door. Not yet 10. I was entrusted to order our usual three pounds of hamburger. When I approached the lighted case, Mr. Bryce sang out, How is Miss Anne today? We talked about the great white Pyrenees puppy he had given us. Raw red meat coiled from his grinder. He swept a quivering pink pile to weigh on a silver scale, wrapped it in white paper, flourished the price with a black wax pen, then slid the bulging package gently to me. I thanked him as I had been taught, found my mother with our little brother in her overflowing buggy, then joined my sisters at the candy counter. That Saturday was July 20, 1963. At checkout, we asked Mr. Bryce for cardboard boxes to make our pinhole projectors. On our way out, we passed San Antonio Papers, which headlined the president and Mrs. Kennedy's pending trip to Dallas. But on that day, in the gravel lot of a small town's grocer, a family turned its back to the sky to watch the moon slide across the sun. One of her newer poems... Oh, this one is, is really very deep and, and very, very sweet. The Coffin Maker. An occasional call with please and please for a coffin tomorrow or day after, this time a stillborn, a friend's granddaughter. With motion slowed and solemn, he searched through his pile of specialty wood favored to repurpose the wood a source of pleasure. Finds an orphaned burled walnut he had forgotten, hardwood not too heavy for something this small. He makes a pattern. His hands of their own volition fit the wood into a clamp, align with the saw and extension of himself, reciting Keats as he makes a six-sided box, corners interlocked like fingers, and with a tiny tip Graces a thread of glue to bond all surfaces. Taps nails as surety. Shakes coffee cans for hinges. From a nail pulls a rope to knot for handles. He breathes blessings into the wood as he cuts top from bottom. Like her little life cut from us. Sands and oils for rich luster. It's aura a comfort for the family to trace the grain, then to kiss the fragrance like her sweetness. She will be lowered into black dirt free of rocks, dug by her grandfather and uncles. They will hold hands at the family cemetery, where she will lie with other infants and ancestors. Word of mouth will spread that Grover made the coffin. In time a daughter will brave a call for a pine box for her father, handmade rather than ordered from Costco. There in the corner stands his own box partially made to remind him he has a place and issues a solemn prayer. God forbid I survive my wife. That one's very poignant. And then let's end on a light. This is is one of her newer poems, not published yet, and it's kind of light and uh, entertaining. Cindy, are you doing anything? Would you hold the ladder, measuring tape, drive the tractor, close the gate? Am I interrupting filing the taxes? If you happen to see my glasses... If I had a thousand-pound cow and calf, how do I calculate the speed of the shaft? On your next trip into town, would you pick this up, drop this off, bush hog, mark down? Is our fill-in-the-blank all gone? How do I turn the computer on? What was I saying? Where was I going? Which time are we talking about? Come sit. We'll read poetry. Aren't you glad you married me? That one's funny to me. I love it.
0: Yes, that one is very sweet. They're all, what I love so much about hearing your reading of the works is that it really uh, solidifies for me how detailed Anne's writing is, how immersive it is, that she really just sort of parachutes you into a moment completely for you to experience it as reader, as listener tonight. And she does it so beautifully time and time again.
1: She does. She really does. She is a fine writer, a fine poet.
0: Yes, indeed. Elizabeth has called in again. Elizabeth, uh, are you unmuted this time? Can Can you speak? I'm
2: hoping I'm unmuted.
0: You are, yes. You are with us now. Oh, boy.
2: (laughs) Hello. Success at last. I don't understand this device, clearly. (laughs) I am, yes, um, when uh, you hear that expression, okay, boomer, here she be. (laughs) I apologize. I don't know why this is is so difficult for me.
0: Uh, It took a couple of tries. Hello, welcome, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) I'm glad we got it resolved.
1: Yes,
2: and I'm glad I was able to hear uh, the reading. I love those pieces. They're I don't know. Anne Anne has a lovely way of spilling out genuine feelings.
0: There is. The, the poems do just simply resonate with emotion and a depth of emotion at that, which is is really lovely to hear, not just to read, but to hear and have that experience as well. So I'm so glad we we're able to do this tonight with uh, with Adelaide filling in. So my Elizabeth, pleasure, I'm Adelaide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My pleasure. I'm the, the challenged
2: member of the group.
0: Yes. We were about to have to figure out some way for Elizabeth to send her poems to uh, Adelaide to read as well. But, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
2: that hardly seems but, fair. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but now that you're with us, Elizabeth, uh, let me ask you a couple of questions, uh, and the, the third of which will be for you to read some poetry for us as well, which I very much look forward to hearing in your voice now that you're with us. Where and when exactly did your entrance uh, to poetry begin?
2: Well, well uh, yes, I, that's a great question, Jonathan.
0: That's why <laughs> I, I asked it, was, yes.
2: Yeah, as you, as you know, uh, but others may not, I was a high school English teacher and taught poetry in the way many of us do very trepidatiously, if that's actually a word. Uh, and yeah. then I ran into a Dodge Poetry Foundation, which did a lot of things to foster teachers and poetry in the classroom. And they got me thinking about poetry in a whole new way. Um, and so that was really when I started thinking about that in a, in a very specific way rather than just, okay, this is in the curriculum, I have to get through it, and the kids are going to hate it. And <laughs> I actually discovered that uh, poetry was something that really did connect with people, and it's a, something that has a reputation of being inaccessible is not. Was I writing poetry then? Oh, No. <laughs> Uh, That has been a complete surprise. (laughs) I didn't really start writing poetry until uh, 2012. And uh, then I started writing poetry that was published, and then I had a book, and then I had another book, and yeah, it's been an interesting journey.
0: I think that's a really empowering message for people to hear who maybe are at a point in their lives where they've put off being a writer in, in in any genre, in any capacity, and think that they're they're not going to get to cross that threshold that if it hasn't happened yet it's not going to happen. But it's a it's a journey that's really never too late to begin. And your your story speaks volumes about what can happen for someone who commits fully to that process. Uh, And it's really been remarkable to see how much has happened for you in such a short period of time with multiple books and awards and publications and also the way in which you are supporting and fostering the work of other writers through what you do with the Island Writers Network, with our Conroy Center and with Open Mic Night. It's just such an impressive catalog of things that you've done, Elizabeth Robin and a real pleasure to to be in orbit here in the low country.
2: But let's well, talk- thank you. <laughs> I'm having a blast, I got to tell you. It's 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 really fun. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm glad. It's a difficult thing to do without the fun. So the fun is is kind of handy to keep the motivation there. I think a lot about um uh, about voice when I think about poets and that's often a mysterious term that writers throw around that uh, seems almost mystical to those who, who are not writers or perhaps are not super confident in their writers. Uh, and voice is a difficult thing to, to arrive at, to figure out You know who you are, what, what identity you want to put forth in your writing life. And I think a lot about uh, what jazz icon Miles Davis said, that it takes a long time to sound like yourself, but uh, as we heard... <laughs> As we heard some of Anne's poetry read, we get a, we get a sense of Anne's voice, and and I find that to be true in your poetry as well. Uh, but how would you describe that voice, Elizabeth? Who who are you as poet? Who are you becoming as poet? What is your
2: voice? I think it's evolving. I I hope it's evolving. I I, I try to be honest, um, and I and I try to express things in a way that will connect with people. It isn't about me, although a lot of my poems are in first person, um, but it's about uh, what I see that I think you also see and perhaps can connect to uh, those feelings or that moment, um, you know, I, I mean, I started out of necessity writing a lot of pieces about grief and and um, loss. And I think that's a pretty universal experience, right? Um, but indeed, uh, we find it difficult to talk about those things. you know there there are taboo subjects in our culture. And because people can't talk about them, they can't work out a way to be inside that. And I think poetry can, can help you do that. So that's what I try and do.
0: Very well said. Would you do us the great favor of reading some of your poetry tonight?
2: <clears throat> I would love to. Thank you. Um I I... I... Uh, Chose four poems. Um, the first is from my first book, uh, Silk Purses and Lemonade, and it's an homage to my brother because um, it was his illness and death that really got me started in poems. Um, I had been writing nonfiction until that point. And uh, this is about him and uh, those of us around him and how you address these moments in your life. Beware of flying pigs. Retreat into a downy cocoon, insulated in sleep. A choice. Babble unending platitudes, masked as deep philosophical truths, absorbed by words, vomiting pain. Another option. Check on everyone's well-being, but your own. Gulp down angst like a nestling at its first meal, choking on possibility. Distract with pounding repetition, resurrection myths, snake oil remedies. Each method offers its own brand of hope. I filter walking along a shore where meaning lies within each tidal change. He stands like Custer, unbending, angry others retreat into statistical impossibility. When pigs fly, he shouts, that's when I'll give up. Shamed by his confidence, I retract inside a cynic's shell and respond, beware of flying pigs. Um, the next one is is uh, a nod to I lived on the Jersey Shore for 18 years, and I went back after Sandy, and um, I was um, thinking about this uh, after my husband died, and you know how how you managed to go on, so to speak, and I call this one daffodil. No gardens bloom in Bayhead that spring. Surviving structures instead display an empty swath of sand and debris, crepe myrtle and lavender and boxwoods and cherry trees, linchpins that hold the dunes in place, vanished. Chunks of errant concrete, broken glass, twisted metal, garnished blackened roots and brown brush. A place rubbish comes to die. And yet, a fragment of yellow, a slender green stem, pushes from that rubble. One daffodil, alive and well, one bulb that somehow came to rest, took root, found nourishment. South of Bayhead, most of Maniloking disappeared. Steel beams holding a bridge buckled. In Seaside, the iconic latticed iron roller coaster, twisted, snapped, swept away in minutes. Mayhem can be shockingly democratic. The tensile strength underpinning a house or bridge fails. It lacks the metal of one daffodil. There it sits, the sole survivor, one fragile flower, a whisper of what was sprung from the wreckage of Sandy.
0: Oh, that's a powerful piece. I don't think I've heard that before.
2: <laughs> I like yeah. The way it, to I, read. I, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah, that that's from where green meets blue, and it's it, it was one of the you know my husband was a New Jersey born and bred guy, um, and it just. Seemed like it, it was a good metaphor for what I was going through. Um, this next one, uh, it's going to be in the new book, the one that's coming out in June. Uh, it's not published, this one. So this, I, don't, I don't even know if I've read this one anywhere before. I'm a, I'm a tree hugger type, so that's, that's what this one's all about. <laughs> Quilting Earth. It's official. The Carolina Panther is gone. Greenland just held a funeral for its first dead glacier, and the Amazon rainforest burns. We all begin with a tinge of Neanderthal, but must you club me to death? You strip me, steal my babies. Rape my treasure, but who boils inside seafoam? Who inhabits the palm sized tiger striped spider that swings at your face? Rumi said the way you make love is the way God will be with you. Manage your me into a sequence of blooms and bulbs, a year round play, and see. You've had hints in flooding. Chemical spills, leukemia golf. The first day of spring differs little from the last day of winter. Green growth flowering in a warming sun. It feels hopeful, a promise, a kiss of joy and birdsong. It seems a mother's gift is rarely appreciated until she's gone. My time runs out. So much past disappears Childhoods brine in eminent domain, new beltways and high-rises. Time sharpens pain, pinpricks suck yokes out. Can you keep time? Should you give it back? Like all mothers, I speak in riddles. You don't understand until it's too late. But this, this is important. The soft gray waking of a morning sky, its slow walk up the horizon, spurs the egret glide across the lake. It's a moment of possibility, this promise of another day. Are you listening to me now? Do you get it? Floods and fires shocked Noah and Lot. But you, but you... Weep that Noah's rescue didn't take. According to scripture, float that boat on God's order. Life breaks you in so many ways. Even the wind deafens the mockingbird's singing. That's
0: a powerful piece as well. And that is in To My Dreamcatcher, which is your forthcoming collection, correct?
2: yeah a lot of a lot of the poems in that book came from the trip that I took with my dog for you know all those national parks and everything in two thousand and eighteen and uh just a lot of nature a lot of uh it was a pretty awe inspiring I went to places I'd never seen before big skies and just amazing. Just amazing. So yeah, a lot of a lot of that book has nature poems in it. Um, the last one uh, is short. Um, this is in a little uh, book called Poetry on the Comet. Uh, every year, Ed Madden, who's the poet laureate of Columbia, has this project to put. Poems in Public Spaces, and the Comet is their bus system in Columbia. And uh, this one, I, I just, uh, when you talk about voice, you know, sometimes I just like to play with language. I, I find words fun. Um, and you'll see what I what I got hooked on in this one. Um, but the, the theme of this was When It's Over, and it was just basically about um, what are we going to do once, once we're let out of our COVID, our COVID jail. Um, and so this is, <laughs> this is my contribution. Change rides the comet. Change departs in a suitcase packed with dreams, a change of clothes, face, heart, mind, a change we can believe in when wild wind bellows, billowy sails crossing a sea change. Exact bus fare to moons and stars twinkling above the quick-change artist. Not chump change, but a change of tune. We sing as we ride the comet's new course. Travels jammed with hugs and talks and arrivals. Oh, I
0: like that. That has such powerful (laughs) rhythm, good use of repetition as well. I love the optimism of it. Uh, and that is just a very cool project that Ed Madden does with the, with the comments. I love I believe, it. I think Anne has been published in that project as well, if I remember correctly. A
2: lot of us are in this, actually. I, it, if I, hang on, I'll, I'll go back because I won't. I don't want to misspeak. Um,
0: and as Anne we, is in
2: this one. Excellent.
0: Good. I'm glad I'm right about that.
2: Yeah, and Danielle is in it too. Danielle Verworth is in it. Oh,
0: terrific! I did Another one. I didn't
2: want I was pretty sure. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Another um, of the Carrie McCray and Fellowship finalists. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a really accomplished group. I I have to say, I when I saw <laughs> the list, I was like, this is as far as I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's talk
0: about that. This is a a nice moment to transition to talking about the the fellowship. Um, So Carrie McCrae Nickens uh, was a South Carolina memoirist and poet who passed away, if I remember correctly, in 2008. I believe she was either 93 or 94 at the time. Really fascinating life uh, above and beyond her work as a writer, which she kind of entered into later in life. But uh, in her memory, she was uh, inducted into South Carolina's Academy of Authors, which is our state's literary hall of fame, posthumously uh, in 2009, so the year after she passed away. And uh, SCAA, South Carolina Academy of Authors, created an annual poetry fellowship in her name, and South Carolina Writers Association was honoring her as well. And those two organizations got together to uh, to make that a collaborative effort. Um, and then uh, you responded to that call, Elizabeth, as did so many other writers from across the state, and we ended up with this incredible group of of six finalists from whom you were then selected as the winner, but you had uh, some thoughts about a way to honor all of the finalists and the award uh, that that really have turned into a wonderful collaboration with the Conroy Center. So if if you wouldn't mind, would you speak about that a little bit?
2: Well, I I like to try and think of ways to make things meaningful. Um, and um, I don't know if people know this, but the fellowship involves a pretty substantial check. And um, I, I couldn't figure out what to do with it. And then I... Um, It just kind of dawned on me one day the perfect thing to do was just to split it with the other five finalists and do something, you know, together. So we've paired off to do these workshops, and that's been fun because, you know, I knew Derek and I knew Miho. You know, Miho and I are very close, but um, I had never met Danielle uh, or Ann, and... uh, uh, I knew a lot about Yvette, and actually, Yvette and I are working on another project together. But I hadn't, I have, I've yet to meet her physically. Um, so it's just been kind of cool. Like you know, you've heard about these other poets that you hadn't met, and you've worked with some that you you know you had. And I was like, we need to get this group together because we're all very different. We come from very different places. We offer very different voices. And I think that's what makes for a really fun reading. So, um, you know, we're going to do a reading. And I think you'll see there'll be something there that you'll like. There might be a lot of something there that you'll like. I don't know. I hope so. (laughs) But it'll be a terrific fun to have, you know, six completely crazy different poets doing their thing together. Um, And... Uh, then we've paired off to do workshops, and um, uh, Adelaide, I'm sure, can speak to what Anne is going to do with Derek, um, which is a fun pairing yes. right there, because <laughs> poetry is superpower. And then Miho paired off with Danielle, and they're doing a sense of place. And Yvette and I are basically doing kind of a, like a, a boot camp thing, we're we're talking about finding the discipline, um, what kind of stuff do you need to do as, you know, it's, this, is, this one, ours is more for like early writers, like how are you going to set yourself up and um, what kinds of things do you need to think about to create some discipline in your writing so that, you know, you can see where you'll go. Um, so, so that's what I, I wanted to do and I'm really excited about it, and I hope they are, too.
0: Just as some context for all of this, these these three workshops and this reading, they're all happening as part of our sixth annual Pat Conroy Literary Festival, which is a four-day event, November 4th through the 7th, a Thursday through Sunday, and all of the events Elizabeth is describing, the workshops and the reading, those are all happening on Saturday, November 6th, Uh, with an in-person option at the Technical College of the Lowcountry, and the reading will also be live streamed on our Conroy Center Facebook page, and some of the workshops have a virtual option as well. But let's talk, if we can, about uh, what Anne is planning to do, and, and she is partnering with the poet Derek Berry and their workshop is called Poetry as Superpower, which is just the coolest name for a workshop ever. And that's uh, being held at 10.30, that's our first workshop of the day, so 10.30 a.m. on Saturday, November 6th. And Adelaide, if you could uh, maybe share a little bit of what uh, Anne has in mind for that workshop.
1: Anne shared that with me. I would like to say that she is so very excited about this. She, she creates excitement for me. I, I'm being introduced to this poetry world, and I, I don't think I could ever write, but I'd really love to read it and to listen. So this is what she has planned with Derek. Um, they will read a poem or two of their own, and then the class is going to write a communal poem, lines of poetry on index cards, two or three lines of poetry. She says she has done this three times in other workshops, and people loved it. Uh, it's a way to bond the group, and she said they still talk about it. They, um, uh, Delia Corrigan and I will be with Ann uh, as her assistants, and uh, we will then take the cards and put them in some kind of order. I don't know what yet, but it should be fun. <laughs> I love to do things I've never done before. There's something kind of crazy about that, but... Yes, That's indeed. okay. I like it.
0: That's wonderful. So we're going
1: to be putting the cards in order and then read them and then read these poems or these lines of poetry that the people in the class have written. So that should be a cool exercise. Absolutely. And she is so very excited. Yeah. I like, we I did like something,
0: the idea We did something very similar with the young writers of our Camp Conroy uh, creating a communal poem together. It's a very exciting project, and it really does – um, bring a group of, of writers together in a, in a powerful and sometimes unexpected way. So that sounds very exciting right. for that uh, for that workshop.
1: <laughs> and I'm so glad you,
0: you get to you get to come as well to assist, Anne.
1: Oh, I am too. I'm really excited about this. Sounds fantastic. Yeah, I, I grew up in, and was born in Monks Corner in Charl. Well, I spent a lot of time in Charleston, but Pat Conroy. I always felt like, was my brother, um, even though he didn't know it. (laughs) My (laughs) husband stayed on Riff Riff Island uh, one weekend, and uh, we rented, of course, a house. And I decided to go out for a long walk on the sidewalk that was kind of covered with trees. And I have to tell you that this man with his sneakers untied and the shoelaces just kind of flopping everywhere came sort of halfway jogging, running, trotting down the path, and I looked, and I said, what a happy day this is. I am positive that's Pat Conroy. (laughs) I decided not to say a word, just stand there in awe as he trotted past me with his shoestrings like my grandchildren's, always hanging down and need to be tied or else you're going to (laughs) fall. I was worried he was going to fall, but that, that was a real treat. That's as close as I ever got to Pat Conroy.
0: Oh, that is a terrific memory. Thank you so much for sharing that. I love that image.
2: I think that's funny how so often the stories of Mr. Conroy have to do with him not being much of a fashion plate. That's a
1: nice way to put it, yes. There is
0: definitely a consistency to that aspect of of Conroy's stories, yes.
2: was He was
0: Elizabeth, you've described your workshop uh, as sort of a boot camp, uh, which I think is, is something a lot of writers need. That there, There is this sort of overwhelming sense of I don't know where to begin, so therefore I don't begin at all. And it, it's a right. huge stumbling block for so many people, but I think you've come up with a really interesting approach to, to address that.
2: Well, it's interesting. I, you know, my background um, – <laughs> I just wanted to find out if I could write. So I retired from teaching and moved down here and started. And then, you know, a year later, I kind of started asking questions like, okay, I've got this manuscript. now what do I do? And, you know, things like that. So, you know, you you learn as you go often. Yvette comes from a a more more disciplined background than I do. Um, So I think between the two of us have a lot. To offer um, and we're we're planning to offer a lot of nuts and bolts help to um, you know give people a handle on how how to get over those various humps that we make for and most of them are in our own minds, right. <laughs>
0: Indeed, there's definitely a psychological element to all of that. Uh, and yep. that workshop is at 2.30, also on Saturday, November 6th. And in between at 12.30 is when Danielle Verwers. I'm not pronouncing that correctly, am I? Pronounce it for me.
2: Oh, was, I think was, so. I think it's Verwers.
0: Verwers, okay. And I think Miho- that's right. Miho are teaching their sense of Place workshop. All three of these workshops are about 90 minutes apiece. There is a $45 fee for them and folks who are interested, as I hope many, many people will be, can register in advance through the Pat Conroy Literary Festival.org website or through our Eventbrite page, patconroyliterarycenter.eventbrite.com. And as I mentioned, most of our workshops throughout the festival, there are eight altogether, not just these three, but eight in total, have a virtual option as well. So folks do not have to be physically present in the Lowcountry to take part in those. And then the group reading, uh, which we've mentioned a little bit as well, is at 4.30 that afternoon, also at the Technical College of the Lowcountry, but also being live-streamed on the Conroy Festival uh, Facebook page, so folks will be able to watch that remotely as well. And our winner, Elizabeth, and our five finalists will be joined by a USC Beaufort writer-in-residence, Ellen Malfris, who will be uh, moderating that session for us. But Elizabeth, you're doing something else for the festival as well, Thursday night, opening night of the festival. Uh, Would you say a little bit about that, about what we're doing out at Coastal Discovery Museum?
2: I'm very excited. I I don't know what um the it, he's got a cool title for the workshop. I can't remember it now.
0: It's, um, it's memoir, memoir as... as vaccine. Yes, memoir as vaccine. vaccine. That's
2: it. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, I, this is uh, Ethelbert Miller. He's uh, a writer that Miho introduced me to and i'm currently she handed me homework before she flew to japan, and i'm currently reading <laughs> reading the last the last of my homework but uh he's a wonderful poet um I'm reading his memoir right now, fathering words and uh uh preparing a a i'm going to moderate a a book talk um so that hopefully I can get him to talk about some of the fun stuff that he that he does. But uh, he's uh, a D.C. via New York native <laughs> uh, and uh, landed at Howard University, which is where he um, lives and works. And he's just a really interesting man. He's an activist and a poet and a memoirist and um, ended up at Howard University at, at a very interesting intersection in time. Um, and that, I mean, he's, his memoir is like name dropping, you know, Sonia Sanchez, Amir Baraka, like, yeah, I mean, so many names he's been <laughs> dropping in this memoir where I'm just going, ah, oh, Matt Don Lee, <laughs> all these amazing people. Um, so uh, he, he's giving the workshop and then there'll be a, a talk and I'm hoping I can get him to do some reading too.
0: I imagine you'll be able to do that. I really look forward to your conversation. Uh, and it, it is uh, fascinating how many lives have intersected with his, uh, what what he has done as teacher and activist and radio host and, and seemingly so many things. And his new book, newly released, I believe, is called When Your Wife Has Tommy John Surgery. So that is oh, yeah. what.
2: Everything <laughs> has to do with baseball.
0: It all circles so back every, to baseball. Yeah, in,
2: everything in life is baseball, <laughs> which is. A, but it's amazing how it, it actually—it's—it's it's an amazing use of a an extended metaphor. In in, at least it's at least two of his books where it's like threads all the way through. Really yes. fun stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: it's a, it's an accomplishment unto itself to to use that thread throughout the the whole series of poems twice and to do it twice so successfully. So uh, that workshop is at 1 p.m., and that is Thursday, November 4th. And I believe we're actually at capacity for that now. There's been a a huge response to that. But he will be reading and doing his conversation with you at 5 p.m. that evening. We are planning to live stream that on the festival Facebook page as well. Uh, And I get the impression we may be starting just a little bit late because I have to get to Hilton Head with three high school students. And we can only leave when we can leave. But we will we will make that happen as quickly as we can. So sometime around 5, let's say, uh, we will start live streaming that that reading and that conversation on the festival Facebook page. And we're all very much looking forward to that. His appearance, incidentally, uh, at our festival and in, in Hilton Head is made possible by a very generous grant from South Carolina Humanities who have been supportive of Conroy Center endeavors for a long, long time. So we're very grateful to South Carolina Humanities for making that possible. And we have just a few minutes left on the show here, so I'll open the floor for anything either of you might want to say in closing as, as we near the end of our hour together. It's been wonderful, and I appreciate both of you being here. I'm so sorry Anne was not able to join in person, but I feel like we've gotten the benefit of a lot of insight into her writing life and the benefit of hearing some of her poetry beautifully read. So thank you so much for that, Adelaide.
1: You're welcome. It's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to meeting both of you the first weekend in November. Um, I I like to hang around with important people, so... (laughs) This is my chance, and I'm looking forward to it. And Anne is very excited about the whole thing.
0: That's so terrific. She we look forward she, to it. She has uh, sent some very enthusiastic emails, so I know she is very excited about her Low Country Pilgrimage, and we're very much looking forward to hosting her in person, hosting both of you in person.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it um, also. I'm really excited about it.
2: It it should be a a lot of fun. Um, The poetry community uh, has been an amazing find for me. Um, Always. It's weird. It's not competitive at all. It's very much a a supportive, collaborative way of thinking that goes on. And um, everyone's really funky and really smart and obviously Articulate, and uh, so it's always interesting to be around a group of poets and kind of absorb what they have to share. It I think is. I think you find this group particularly interesting.
0: This is a group that is diverse and in. in every beautiful sense of that word so it's a real honor to get to bring all six of these poets together in our low country to to teach classes in combinations where they have never team taught before and to to read as a group as well it seems like a brilliant idea when we thought of it we'll we'll uh go into Saturday (laughs) November 6th assuming that will be true as well but uh, it's just an exciting thing to be able to do. And the whole festival lineup is really quite impressive this year. These are still difficult, challenging times. I know I'm not telling anybody anything you don't know, but uh, it really means a lot to gather this particular pantheon of writers uh, together for a four-day event in our beautiful little town of Beaufort uh, and to be able to do it in a way that folks can also watch and, and interact with remotely as well. And you can learn more about our sixth annual Pat Conroy Literary Festival and how to sign up for these workshops or to view the reading we've mentioned a few times during the podcast here. You can do all of that once again at Pat Conroy Literary Festival. .org. And with that, I want to thank you both once again for being with me here on the podcast on the Live from Pat Conroy Literary Center podcast for October, the last show we are recording in the studio uh, this year. We'll do a November show and a December show, but those will be pre-recorded. Uh, so we'll be back here on the Authors on the Air radio network uh, with those shows coming up later this fall, and I look forward to seeing both of you in Beaufort for our Literary Festival in just a couple of weeks. Thanks so much again for your time tonight, everybody.
1: Thank you. My pleasure.